the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Suffering. Boy, we hate that word, right? We try to avoid it like it's the plague. But if we are suffering God's way to form Christ in us, well, that's a good thing. And we'll explore that truth next on Abounding Grace. Online at reformedheritage.org, this is Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Pastor Gary Wagner is in the book of Romans, and today we are focusing in on chapter 8, once again, verses 28 through 31. Suffering is going to come to us, no matter who we are and no matter what station in life we have. It's just a matter of life. But if we suffer God's way, it is because he is forming Christ in us. And that is a truth that we are exploring today here in Romans 8. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Suffering God's way to form Christ in us. Romans 8.28 is a wonderful promise to those who love God. Throughout the Bible, there is one thing that all lovers of God are said to have. Without this, you do not love God. And make this personal. If you do not have this, you do not love God. You may be baptized. You may be Presbyterian. You may be Reformed. But you do not love God without this. In fact, you could be considered to be a hater of God. So what is this one thing? If you love me, keep my commandments. This is the love of God, 1 John 5, 3, that we love him and keep his commandments. Now to those who love God, all things, great and small, difficult and or wonderful work together for good the difficulties and sufferings are the broader context here beginning in verse 17 that if you are going to partake of Christ's glories we must also partake in Christ's sufferings it is difficult to believe that our sufferings are working together for good because in the midst of it It doesn't feel good. We do cry. We do feel the pain. And nothing in this verse says Christians are going to pass through life untouchable. Some of the best Christians suffer the worst and cry the most. But our confidence in those times is that God is working to accomplish good through those things to those who love him and notice who are called according to his purpose. The called, the elect, those whom God has called out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Now, verse 29, which we begin, began looking at last Lord's Day, is designed to intensify the encouragement of this. The whole mention of purpose in called at the end of verse 28 brings two words to the apostle's mind by, of course, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Foreknown, which I said is used throughout Holy Scripture as the equivalent of for love. It's not just that, well, God sees that we're going through difficult times and he's working in them to bring good. No, no. It's a lot higher and deeper and eternal than that. He foreknew us. He foreloved us. So ahead of time, he already charted out all of these things. The reason God can bring good out of the troubles is because he controls the troubles. And the reason he controls the troubles is because he ordains them, knows them exhaustively, and is accomplishing his holy purposes through them. Not only did he foreknow us or forelove us, but he also predestined us. In other words, he chose us. And the word actually means to set the boundaries of our lives. Isn't that amazing? It should really be an encouragement to you. Sometimes we feel like when things happen to us, boy, I'm just floating in the middle of the ocean. Maybe in a small rowboat. I don't know where the compass is. I can't find the oars. And there are no rations. Well, we need to remember if we ever really did find ourselves in that boat, God ordained and set the boundaries of our life to put us right there at that time with all those troubles. And that is brought out very clearly in the phrase that we did not look at last Lord's Day. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, foreknowledge, predestination, have as their personal goal to remake, remake each one of those that, according to verse 28, love God and are the called ones to be more like Jesus Christ. The Lord knows that as good and as faithfully as, as he has been to us, we shall be tempted to doubt his love at times and our condition in the world is almost always harder than the children of the world or unbelievers. So if God loves us so much, why, if we are foreloved, why, if he has set the boundaries of our lives, does that include so many tears, so many crosses to bear, and so many afflictions? Verse 17 of chapter 8 suggests the reason is so that one day, we can partake of Christ's glory. Now in verse 29, he makes it clear. That is, God foreknew us and predestined us so that we could be made like Jesus. Now our sufferings that we go through as Christians, they are not redemptive. We can't add anything to the finished work of Christ. But at the same time, our sufferings are the outworking of his redemption in our lives. 
Remember that our Lord did not die and rise only to deal with the curse of sin and to deal with the judgment that would come to us because of our sin. He died and rose again to renew us, to make us holy, to make us a beautiful bride. This is called newness of life. And notice here whose life ours is going to be like. Verse 29, like Jesus. The word like here in Greek is to be conformed to the image of his son, which is one beautiful word in Greek, symorphous, which means to be made one with, to be made similar to, to look like. And it's a challenging word that signifies our complete remaking into the image of Jesus. Okay, great. We're going to be like Jesus. Well, let's think about what that is. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Because we need to not be under any delusions about this. If God has foreloved you, if he has predestined you, if you are one of the called according to his purpose, if you are going to have confidence in everything, that every single thing that happens to you in your life is working together for good, you better be careful. Because God's goal in all of this is to make you like his son. Hebrews 5 verse 7. Who? Jesus. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son. Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took upon himself a true, full, complete human nature. The Word became flesh. He became our mediator, so that he could offer himself on the cross for our sins, and that he could make intercession for us before God. And by his death, he dealt with the curse, that judgment of sin. And by his resurrection, he now deals with the sin that is in us personally. And how does he do this? How does he deal with our personal sins? Listen. Through affliction, he exposes our worldliness, our self-love, our idols. He brings pressures to bear upon us. He lets us fall into sin at certain times in our lives. So we are shocked when we realize, oh, believing what I believe, even knowing what I know, even having had the experiences that I've had, this is still in me. Yes, he refines us. He brings us to where we have to face the sin in our life so that we will repent of them and that we will put him on, in the words of the apostles, in holiness and in righteousness. In short, he works his image into us. He makes us into his image. 
And what is that image as we learn it here in Hebrews 5, 7, and 8? Dependence upon the Father. Crying and submission to his Father's will. When tempted, what did our Lord do? He held fast to his Father's word. When he was destitute and forsaken, he made his prayer to his Father. When he was reviled and falsely accused, who does Peter say that who does Peter say that he did? What does Peter say that he did? He committed his soul to him who judges righteously. At every step, his constant prayer was Psalm twenty two eleven. Be not far from me, O Lord. He expressed his love for his father and said to him, You are my strength. And you are my salvation. And you are the God of my life. Hungry, he lived by the scriptures. Fasting for 40 days, he said, Man shall live by God's word alone. On the cross, he committed his soul to his father. He could do nothing else. He said, And to thy hand I commit my spirit. And he yielded up the ghost. What can we say about a life like Jesus, that we're supposed to bear his image. His life is too wonderful for words. Trust, hope, obedience, prayer, joy, consecration, confidence in his father's love, even in the midst of the worst imaginable terrors he was undergoing for our salvation. And that is what we are to be conformable to. We are to walk as he walked. Yes, because he has been now raised from the dead and he lives and reigns at the right hand of the Father. So that his very life will be formed in us. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Same idea is just stated in another way. Now notice again from Hebrews 5 though. Our Lord didn't learn this obedience to his father, this trust, this dependence when life was, as we call it, peaches and cream. He learned it when he became the man of sorrows. And yet he laid down his life for the joy that was set before him. He personally was betrayed and denied, and yet he did not deny, but gave the good confession before Pilate. He was utterly forsaken on the cross, and yet he still trusted his father. And this is our model. He is our model. And beloved, we are privileged to bear his image. Like him, here's a short list for you. We must trust our father's love and wisdom no matter what happens to us. Even when we are tired and afflicted, We, like Jesus, must trust that my Father's will is the best. It is what is good for me. If the world hates us, you must love it back. Matthew 5, 43, the Pharisees said what they thought was good political doctrine. Hate your enemies. What did Jesus say to you? Love those that hate you. Are you ready for that in the coming years? How ready are you when the world spits on you for your faith? 
How tolerant are you that you won't accept the worst perversions, that you won't accept those various social crimes that the pagans have committed against God so that they curse and revile you? And they write all kinds of nasty things on the church buildings, as has been done in various places already across America. Profanity and blasphemy. The point is, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to go out and sue them. We're going to go and take them to court. We're going to see that we have our day. We are going to be sure we protect our rights. That's not Jesus' doctrine. Jesus' doctrine is when you are under a government system that hates you and is treating you severely, be wise and treat them as you want to be treated and don't give them reason to treat you or your family more severely. When they smack you on the cheek, turn the other to them. When the soldier comes after you with a sword and he wants to kill and someone cuts off his ear, you put that ear back on him. You heal it. Now, I know we don't have the gift of healing, but the point here is we do not treat our enemies like they treat us. We love when we are cursed, which means we treat them as Christ commands according to his will. Sorrowing over sin, sorrowing over troubles, we also, with our Lord, must rejoice. Now, there's no other way for us to learn any of these things than to pass through the fire of affliction with our Lord Jesus Christ. Because how in the world are we going to be really taught to pray unless we feel like just all of the air has gone out of us and we've been sucker punched by sin and unbelief or by other calamities that come into our lives, our worldliness, the idols of our heart? How are these things going to be helpful unless we are chastened for our sins and afflicted? Because, you see, we hold on to this life tenaciously and we want it on our terms and we love our delusions of strength oh i can do it i can overcome i can respond to this successfully on my own i can cure this i can get it and make this better god says no you cannot you need to be refined you need to be humbled maybe it's a lingering illness Maybe it's financial trouble. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's the inability to overcome a particular sin for a long period of time. Maybe it's an acute season of suffering for the gospel. Whatever form our sufferings take, they have one goal, my friends, and that is for us to bear our Savior's image. So sufferings are unavoidable. Because God foreknew them, and he foreknew us, and he predestined them for us. So don't think, I'm going to be that Christian that is going to pass through life, and everything is just going to be a bed of roses. No, it is not. It is very true at a fundamental level that man was born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Our troubles and sufferings are necessary. 
Because for without them, we're not going to be purified and learn that our joy is to be made like Christ, to live as he lived in trust, independence, joy, and consecration. But our sufferings are also beautified. Don't ever forget this. We are to be conformed into his image. He is lovely. He is beautiful. He is fairer than 10,000. And God wants you, child of God, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the world thinks of you, God wants you to look and be like his son in whom he delights. The holy one, the beautiful one, the one who smells of myrrh and alloys and cassia, all of these symbols in scripture to elevate us in our thinking. He is most precious, and God wants us to bear that image. So please, rejoice as James says. When you're called to grow through, go through various temptations and trials because you don't have any greater good, and neither do I, than to be made like Jesus. And God set his love upon us in the council of eternity. He predestined our lives and everything about us so that we would have this blessing to be made like his son. So his purpose of choosing us in his son before the foundation of the world is so that we would look like his son in the world. He has bound our destiny as Christians to his son, to his son's destiny. So if we trust our father's purposes in this, and they have been settled in all eternity, you can't avoid them. They are necessary. They are beautifying. And we can learn, like Jesus did, obedience. We can learn to endure whatever God brings into our lives with patience. You know, I love reading biographies. Most of you men know that. And several years ago, I read a biography of Matthew Henry, who is the author of probably one of the, most, one of the best commentaries on the whole Bible. In fact, if you have Calvin's commentaries and Matthew Henry's, you really have everything you need to study the Bible well. Reading about his life was so encouraging. In a period of four years, Matthew Henry lost his first wife, his first two children, death by infant, by infancy, three of his sisters and his father. I mean, just one death after another. And yet he repeatedly wrote in his diary, The Lord is my good. The Lord is my strength. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. You look at your prayer list. How in the world can these things be good? How in the world can we learn? Well, Jesus learned to submit to the heart-wrenching difficulties of laying down his life as an atonement for sin. And if we are in him and walking with him, we can learn to be obedient, to be patient, and to wait on the Lord. So when we feel like our troubles are suffocating us and we just want to give up, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to remember? That not only is God in the fire with us, but he lit the fire. It's not as if there is this fire and, okay, well, I've got to go through it and God is going. 
No, God lit the fire. Because remember, Jesus comes with his winnowing fork in his hand, and he is like a refiner's fire, because the goal of trouble and of suffering and of sorrow, if we endure it patiently, trusting in the Lord, is to be made like Jesus and to bear his image. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402. 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5. And any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408-866-5607. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.